0: 3D printing has absolutely revolutionised the speed, and that you can see sizes and change and make those changes and get that right at that stage. Don't move forward into, you know, your true material or or that until you're you're kind of confident in what you've got.
1: Welcome to the Ten K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time. That's myamazonaudit.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit ladles and jelly spoons boys and girls welcome back to the 10k collective podcast a subset of the amazing fba podcast family for six seven and eight figure Amazon brand owners. So, Amazon brand owners, what does that even mean? It means you sell on Amazon, but you own your own brand, I guess. Today, we are talking to Bonnie Hall, co-founder of Senses8, the retail product experts who help brands unleash the full potential of their product portfolio. Sounds very grand. I happen to know that Bonnie has incredible deep background in helping companies in a very, very detailed way. So, lots of expertise to draw on here. So, Bonnie, welcome to the show. Delighted to have you with us.
0: Thank you for having me today, Michael. Appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. So, tell us a little bit about Census Eight, and let's let's just get that expertise. Retail product experts is what you build yourselves as, and just just show us exactly what that expertise comes from.
0: Yeah, of course. So, myself and um, my colleague Vicky, well, co-founder actually, Vicky Jackson, set up Census Eight in August two thousand twenty-three. So. We both come from e-commerce backgrounds, e-commerce retail. Myself, I was 20 years with a leading e-commerce business in the well, UK, but actually global. So we had a wide breadth of expertise across like all countries. And Vicky came from footwear originally and then joined to be in the well-being, sexual well-being and health area as well. So between the two of us, we founded it really to help brands retailers to optimize their product we can see how hard product has to work in businesses it's where we know the heart of really what you're selling and the importance of products and we wanted to help others to also kind of optimize that in their ranges
1: excellent And, and just to underline things with a few Numbers just how deep your background is. So you've managed over 250 global suppliers, a portfolio of over 5,000 products or SKUs. You guys work with brands in Europe, Japan, China, America. So you, you really, really have deep expertise. And I know the company which you were from, and I know how incredibly fast they grew. So you guys really, really, really know your business. And I I like the fact that you said that the product is at the heart of what we do. I do find in the community of people who focus on Amazon selling or selling on Amazon, it's hard to get away from the language that is platform centered. And we kind of get wrapped up in the latest hacks for Amazon and the latest, how do I market? And is TikTok the latest channel? All of which is important, but I think it can distract us from the fact that when the consumer owns the pro- gets the product in their hands, they're going to like it or not like it. And that's ultimately the foundation of the future for your brand or death for it, right? So I think that people get very distracted. So I, I love that focusing back on the product. Today, we're going to talk about, talk of supplier relationships. You've had so many <coughs> supplier relationships over the decades. And we're going to talk about how to develop a really good relationship with a supplier. Now, that's not a common focus for podcasts in the e-commerce space so first question is why does that really matter is it that critical and if so why is that
0: so yeah absolutely i mean for myself so coming from a startup i was lucky enough to be involved in everything from from product all the way from you know how we sourced it the supplier through to what the product is the pricing and everything and really To me, suppliers underpin everything that you've got. You can have a fantastic product, but if you haven't got a great supplier, getting that product on time, getting it quality, getting it the price you need, it can really let you down. So to me, I have really put, and even today when I'm working with other brands, just the importance of having that supplier relationship is fundamental really to having a strong and robust supply chain.
1: Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. I guess if you can't get the product, then nobody can buy it. And if it's not at the right price, you won't make a profit, right? And people forget that as well. Like they obsess about price for products and then get the wrong quality. So let's go back to the beginning of the process of getting a product going. and Let's talk about product development, which I guess is part of working with a supplier isn't it do you start with the supplier and work out what they can provide for you do you start with your own product or the client's product portfolio do you start with the consumers where's the starting point for developing something new
0: so yeah I, I, so it really is it, prior to anything to do with who that supplier is it really is about what what is the product who's the consumer so we're looking at Who's the consumer? Where are you looking to sell it? So you talked about the channel, obviously Amazon, which is which is key here, but also the territories that you're looking to sell within. So are you selling in the US or Europe? Are you looking to expand? So any new product, project, we start right at the start of thinking about what's your ultimate kind of long-term goal. You might have to compromise short term, but long-term, where do you want to be? So once you've kind of determined that really building kind of looking at your competitors looking at kind of where your retail price is so you're building that kind of commercial plan and really all of that information and fundamentally even the volumes the forecast that you're anticipating is going to determine where you can go in the supply chain and who you can source from
1: Hmm. okay so quite a bit to think about there so <coughs> deciding a, a long-term plan and then compromising the short term again not a common thing a lot of people think very short term Okay, great. So we decided where we're going to sell. What about the end consumers? How do you sort of bring those into your product development process? Do you just sort of guess what your consumers want because you know them well, or is there a sort of more structured process?
0: So I was very lucky, obviously, 20 years in one industry, I got to know the consumers very well, but it's still just constant evolution of of looking at consumer trends, looking at data, looking at what the industry as a whole, actually speaking to customers, looking at reviews. If you're new to the industry, you don't have reviews on your own products, actually taking the time to read customer reviews of competitor products so looking at what people like about the product what they complain about also about kind of the retailers themselves if you've got competitor retailers looking at their trust pilot reviews where are they dropping the ball where are their opportunities that you could actually offer a service or something that's going to meet that customer need so there's lots of different ways that you can kind of research that consumer and start to pull together a picture and an image of Who it is that you're targeting, even if it's not 100% firm, it's really important. And even, you know, today picking up a new brand, a new opportunity, that would be one of our key starting points. Who's going to buy this product and use it? And why would they choose to use or buy your product?
1: Yeah, why would they choose to use your buy your product? That's a good question. So I'm going to just capture that. As ever, folks, the, the notes are over at 10kcollective.com if you want to see some written notes for this show. So what about a more established business that's got, uh, say, let's take a typical member of the mastermind, a million dollars or so or pounds per year in revenue. They've got an established product line. They may have been out there for several years, but they're wanting to expand into a, a new product line, which is very common. It's the classic way to grow your business and an extremely good strategy, in my opinion. But how do you go about... How would somebody in that situation go about working out, you know, the beginnings of the product development process?
0: Yeah. So obviously, yeah, everyone's at kind of different stages in their journey. Some might be buying still from a local distributor. Others might be buying through a brand or through another channel. An agent is obviously quite a, a frequent source. So. If you are looking to make that change and start to perhaps work directly with a manufacturer, with a factory, really, for me, again, it's determining once you've determined kind of what it is that you want in terms of the product or the benefits, functionality, outlining all of that and where you're looking and with the benefits really that you're looking to get from this experience. Is it all about price? Is it about improving your supply chain? So maybe you've had out of stock issues with um, your existing supply chain. Is it about quality? You've got a great product, but actually you've got high returns, and you need to de-risk that, which is you know obviously fundamental. So understanding what it is you want to get out of it and why you want to do because there's as well as the positives there's challenges related to it as well higher moqs longer lead times so really just looking at this wider picture and then when you're ready researching so looking at your existing network you know you may know often Boxes and packaging have who it's manufactured by. You know, you can look at um, some of those to see, can you actually seek out the original factory? Can you look at Alibaba or other sources to see where similar products are out there? Trade shows. And then if you're going to be really brave, going out into the world where the factories are and actually going to see um, some of the factories and explore it.
1: Those are all sort of factory-related, I suppose what's the word, looking for – how do you move to looking for a supplier from reselling mm-hmm. people's stuff? So assuming that we've got to that stage and you are, you've are you been selling your own products for a while, so I think you have, again, typical members of the mastermind, some of whom are on that journey of moving from reselling at quite a significant level to their own brand development. But for most people, I think the, the sweet spot is they've already got a, a brand – And they're selling products and they've got suppliers and they wanted to expand to a new product line so for those people what is the starting point i guess they have some existing customer knowledge and some you know a lot of their own products out there with reviews good or bad they've got some supply chains existing already so how are they going to go about developing a new product in the best way would you say
0: so a new product from that point of view if they've already got all that data obviously again outlining exactly what it is and then it might be if you already have that supply chain. So maybe you've got two or three suppliers who you know who are already manufacturing in that area. Getting that brief together for them, getting all the detail. And, and at this point, there's a few things which I would definitely say really, really important and where I've seen kind of hiccups. One is about exclusivity. You know, a lot of what we're doing at this stage and you've got your own brand is the importance of exclusivity for yourself. So are you looking to take something off the shelf and just recolor it, put your logo on and put it in a box? So are you looking for something that's actually bespoke for you as well? Have you got an opportunity to maybe redesign it in a cost-effective way that, that can make it truly unique to you? Or is it the idea that actually you need to develop from scratch that each of those elements can also help determine who you might go to within the supply chain as well. So finding a partner who can actually deliver exactly what it is that you want is really important at this stage. So understanding what you want, having a clear vision and then being able to articulate that, get it down into a brief and be able to hand it out so you can start the process. Okay,
1: so I guess one question is then, How long is a piece of string questions? But I guess these are the processes that people have got to go through, right? So the the options, taking something off the shelf, putting it in a new box. I guess you call that pure private labelling or white labelling. My instinct and my experience on Amazon would be that's now a little bit dead because you're obviously, you know, Amazon's a comparison engine, isn't it, on the search results page and you're, you're looking at the same sort of product. The consumers aren't dumb and they realize it's the same and you get shopped on price. Now, that's my sort of summary, which may always be true. So let's assume we're either redesigning an existing product for your supplier or developing from scratch. How do you make the decision between those, those two options?
0: For me, it's all about, well, two really. It's cost how much money have you got that you can actually put into this? It's probably around about your category. So although kind of that white label can be very obvious in certain categories, other categories, it's less obvious. So say you're in cosmetics or beauty, you know, you can create something through packaging that's very unique versus maybe if you're making a a, a flask or sportswear might be harder. So it really is about dependent on the product category you're in. And then for me it's about yeah, how much money have you got to spend, how quickly do you want to bring it to market? And also about what the volumes are that you're looking to produce. So doing a redesign or reskin on something that's already there that's maybe an electronic item, you can save thousands and thousands of pounds and come to market a lot quicker. It looks exclusive from the outlook and then from internally, maybe the guts are the same as something that's already on the market. Also, one of the really big areas here is around the compliance and product testing. So you can also get huge benefits in using existing technology where you can piggyback on the manufacturer's compliance testing, etc., versus what you might have to do if you built it from scratch. So it really is outlining what both of those are, understanding the cost and understanding the benefits For you and whether it's right for the size of business that you are.
1: Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Yeah, that's a very intelligent set of, uh, of thoughts there. So, cost and speed are, are obvious things but i i guess you make an extremely good point i have really i suppose i've in my mind i've because i've always worked with hard goods myself and quite a few of my clients do then i always think oh the widget looks the same but obviously if it's got electronics in it or something like you know a, a consumable or some description then it's got a sort of function that's not the same as the, the basic shape, if you like, that you see on the screen. And, and then suddenly you can differentiate the visual effects, which I think is really important, from the sort of function. Like if it's lipstick, it still colors red and it still has the same ingredients and it's past the FDA testing or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would say also if you haven't dealt with the joy of compliance, folks, uh, in certain categories you really, really, really want to be serious. If you're going to go down that route or just don't bother because the uh, compliance uh, with the EU... And or FDA, if you're consuming stuff, is pretty serious in my experience. So I'm not going to plunge into the, the the world of all of the compliance side because we could spend all day talking about detail there. But let's let's move on to the sort of next stage. And let's say you let's assume for the sake of simplicity that you're deciding to re- redesign or reskin, nice word, an existing product. What's the next stage in the process of the product development? Or are we even getting to the point where we're looking at suppliers yet? Or do we need to think more about the product itself.
0: No, definitely. If you're looking to reskin something, your starting point is what is already there at that factory and with your supplier. So, one of the things actually within state we're very lucky. We've got a, a gentleman, Paul Jacks, who's a quality compliance expert. And actually, I met him when he joined the the econ retailer I was with, and he absolutely changed. Some of our ways of working around this and actually this re opportunity came about through his knowledge and expertise prior to that we were much more reliant on white label right you know straight kind of out of the factory rebrand so it definitely having that knowledge and experience of that the ability to to kind of quality so get the get the product quality right and then also create some exclusive is is fundamental so Really, if you've got this opportunity, so you've got a product, you want to kind of make it exclusive. It's obviously working with the factory. What's the cost of what what is doable and what's not doable? And really, as I mentioned, the volume and how much product that you're going to actually produce. So if you've got to create new molds, it's really important. You know, one of the things, again, Paul helped us massively on is. I think at one point our factories, you know, were using the highest quality stainless steel to create these beautiful moulds with X many different cavities. And, you know, we might be only producing 2000 pieces and actually we only need the mould to have a life cycle of maybe two to three years because actually the product isn't necessarily going to be. And if it is, we'll just remake moulds. So, again, looking at ways that you can save costs, working with a partner who can also kind of identify those opportunities as well, I think is really key. So, yeah, talking through what it would look like, what's involved. And then also one of the things that I definitely have benefited with is working with partners, manufacturing partners who have in-house design. So you may not be lucky and not many people are lucky to have an in-house design team within their brand or their e-com business. So actually being able to benefit from the factory's intern design, so to be able to maybe supply a 2d drawing and they can take that to 3d they can render it they can do all of that work for you that you're not then having to actually pay a design agency to do that's going to add you know more and more costs on so to me that supplier selection knowing the extras that they can offer above and beyond kind of pure manufacturing is really important
1: Right. Now, the first thing that strikes me with that is if we are talking about Chinese suppliers, I guess most people, not everyone in the e-commerce world who's dealing with things that if it doesn't go on or in your body, chances are quite high you've dealt with China to do this. Now, as soon as you start, saying working with a partner who has an in-house designer, that comes down to communication. And my experience with Chinese factories is communication. There's somehow something happens between... What I say and what gets received and what goes the other way, because Chinese culture is very, very different from, let's assume listeners are in North America or or Britain or possibly Europe. So how how do you manage that whole situation if you have experience of
0: that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been very lucky over the years to have built up reliable suppliers. I know kind of have that ability to take a 2D free free to a kind of 3D? But I think in the early days, probably one of the key ones is giving them examples of what it is that we want to achieve. So if that's a finish, if it's a texture or if it's a color or something, so actually going out into the wider world and buying a similar product and sending it to them, taking them, you know, spending time actually within their factory. That's another, obviously one of the key ones. So actually spending a day with them, drawing it, getting them to sit next to their cab designer as they're mocking it up and you know the world from when i first started this and you know a a sample would take six weeks to produce you know now we're able to 3d print in you know six days so so getting that 3d print understanding that you know you can go through iterations and various design iterations at that stage 3d um printing has absolutely revolutionized the speed and that you can see sizes and change and make those changes and get that right at that stage don't move forward into you know your true material or or that until you're you're kind of confident in what you've got and spending the extra time then saves you a lot of time later down the road and yeah. even, at, I'm sorry, I was going to just say, even now you can start to 3D print things in materials that your customers can even test, you know, that depending on the type of product that you're, you're looking to create, you could actually start to see what it's like actually in the hand. How does it feel? What does it, what does it, you know, how does it function as a product as well? So that's a big step, human testing.
1: Yeah, human testing, yeah. That's, by the way, I think really, really critical. It's not easy to do, right? So I can see why people skip it. And I haven't generally, heart on, hand on heart, haven't done a lot of it myself. But yeah, so a couple of things to, to think about here, just to reflect on what you're saying. Give examples of what you want to achieve. That, that's excellent advice. It's hard to screw up if you've got a, a thing in your hand and you're a designer, you will immediately understand the, the object does the communication for you, right? Rather than trying to use words that might have a different meaning in different culture. And I like the idea of sitting next to the CAD designer while they're one it up. I guess it does imply that you've flown out to China and you're hanging out there for a bit. Now, I do know people who've literally done that. That can be, be hard to engineer, can't it? But the the truth that I've seen, and I don't know what your experience is, if you're not actually out there in, in person, that you end up sending a few samples back and forth before you've got something good. And by the way, I like the idea of 3D printing it in some simpler materials. My friend Ashley Pierce, who these days helps people with something else, been in the mastermind for years, he, he's over at, oh, I think of the brand name in a second, So people's names always uh, more memorable than brands, there you go. But he talks about the Tesco thing where they have bronze, silver, gold style sort of samples, so that you end up with three iterations of the product before it gets to something acceptable for consumers. Is that something that you found to be roughly, you know, how it works in real life as well?
0: yeah absolutely yeah that is that is pretty much and that that the, the gold that you've kind of got at the end you've gone through a whole journey and that also is the one that you sign off and at the end of the day you're then matching your your manufacturing your your production against as well so super key that you've got that prior to committing the po and going into production
1: yeah it's ashley pierce of future state media by the way he was a, a manufacturing engineer well that's his background he's now doing stuff in media because people end up Switching around, But yeah, I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. So tell me a bit more about this getting materials into customers' hands. That sounds to me more valuable than necessarily flying out to China. If it takes a bit longer to get it, so be it, because I'm not sitting on a plane in, in some horrible hotel outside Shenzhen or wherever. I haven't heard great reports from people who've been out to factories of, of loving the experience of, of hanging out there, and well, maybe some people do. But that doesn't feel to me amazing use of time. But talking to customers always feels like a great idea to me. How do you go about getting from concept to CAD design to getting it into consumers' hands? Just tell me an example.
0: Well, it's going to really be dependent on what your product is and and how easy that to determine kind of how easy it is just just on the side note i absolutely love going to china <laughs> and my colleague paul jacks and i we absolutely love it and um yeah going to the factories and getting on the floor and seeing spending time with the people and seeing all that is you know that's why we're lucky enough to kind of love what we do but yeah that that's really important for me but yeah, in terms of actually getting it into the consumer side absolutely is dependent on the type of product so i'm just thinking of an example so i've worked on some cosmetic kind of area which we call eu cosmetics so let's take like a a a massage oil for example so when working with and then in this instance actually this is a uk manufacturer so We may be working on the scents. We're working on the fragrance, working on bespoke, working on the kind of ingredients of this. So in those kind of early stages, we might have five or six different scents that we're going to be looking to kind of choose between each of them kind of slightly different. So one of the key things we do is get small little sample bottles made up, depending, again, on the size of business you are or the size of the factory. You might be you might have to pay a small fee for that. But those then can actually go out to either Trusted, trusted customers. If you've actually got a customer kind of testing platform, or that you've kind of created one yourself, they might go through to friends or families or colleagues in the business. You know, you might ask a few different people just to try them. You know, try it on their hands, see what's sent, give feedback. So we would um, have a kind of um, product testing form with the questions that you actually want to find out about. How did it sell it? How did it smell? How did it feel on the skin? You know, would you buy it? What kind of price would you pay for this if it was excise? So actually trying to gather and, and think ahead of those questions because then you can actually collate them into a database and that can help you then determine score the products. And actually choose which one that you might then take to market, and it will also bring up some of the benefits for the products that you might not be thought of. So I might say, oh, you know, it it evoked a feeling of you know lavender relaxation, and you know, it's it, you you've got different things that can also help you to do that and if some of those reviews are also positive during that you can also use them if people are happy for you to when you come to launch the product you can ask those people who've been involved in the development to also review the product if what you're bringing to market is is what they've actually tested
1: brilliant i love this now this you talked at the beginning of the show quite rightly about how the product is the you know, the heart and soul of the business. It's not quite in my words, not yours. But equally, obviously, consumers are the people who actually pay us. Everyone else, it strikes me when you look at your business, everything else is a cost item, and consumers are the only people who bring you money rather than costing you money, even beloved employees or business partners for that matter. And this is brilliant because what you're doing is before you mass manufacture, you're getting actual real products into consumers hands and getting actual real words from the consumer, not guessing, not reading their reviews, which are generally skewed. I mean, I think, by the way, just a side note, but really important one, people don't write reviews when they're in a normal state of mind. They're either very happy or very unhappy. I mean, that's normally the case, isn't it? Especially the latter. So I think it's better to get, you're going to get those more nuanced middle of the road, like, yeah, quite like it, but which you get less of in reviews. I mean, yeah, you get three star reviews, but somehow there's something about reviews, isn't there? So I, I really like that as well. It's a bit more uh, nuanced and this is really, really good. So I would just, if you take nothing else in the podcast, I just say to everyone listening, like what we've just talked about is the missing piece. Even right now, it's a huge opportunity because most people just don't do this. This is a bit of hassle, isn't it? It's a lot of hassle. I, I would also say, if you go to colleagues in the business, that's excellent. If you go to customers, that's even better, existing customers. If you're going to your friends and family, just be aware they may not be your consumer base, right? If your Aunt May doesn't like it and it's, it's it's developed for hunky men in their 20s and your Aunt May is 60, then she might not be your consumer, I'm just saying. It's another thing that people get put off by. Okay, look, this is very, very good. So let's say we've got our manufacturing. Oh, by the way, yes, I, my my prejudice against the, the China experience is just to be dismissed if it's not you. You obviously love going out there and I know other people who do as well. It's just not so common. So next thing, we've got our samples you have sent them out to consumers. We've got feedback. So how do you, what's the next stage after that?
0: So you've got the product and you're kind of happy with it. I mean, this is in the hope that you've already got all your branding and your packaging obviously determined and kind of defined. And I really, really at that stage, if you've got your kind of gold sample, it's signing off, it's getting, your, it's, it's getting your terms and conditions with your supplier, obviously getting your PO in place, understanding what that production lead time is, understanding it prior to, obviously, any sourcing, understanding what duties are involved, if you're obviously crossing borders, and also estimating prior to production or anything like that, your freight, because you really don't want to be surprised, you're going to, you've managed to source a product at a great price, and you're bringing it in, and you're not actually understanding what that freight is and duty. So absolutely, they should be in the business plan at the start. So yeah, once that kind of goes through, I mean, we, I've been, again, very lucky in that, it was very important to have OQC so within our business. So Paul Jacks has built that into a process within our production. So OQC is outgoing quality control. So You may rely on your factory to have that incoming quality control of materials coming in. But when they've actually made your products in production, so we would actually have in production line quality control. So whether that was in-house team or we paid for a company to go in, independent company, again, it's all about the value of the production, the risk of what might go wrong and really determining how you want to do that or, or whether it's right for you. And that would actually then give us that confidence again that the product that's coming off the line is the product that we signed off in that gold sample. And then really, really drawing all this, you're you're planning your route to market and know that getting the benefits, getting everything kind of prepared. You've obviously got that sample as well for images, photographies, videos, and I've obviously talked about the the getting that feedback during development and then absolutely, again, the importance of getting those early samples and and instances you might choose to fly in. Say you are producing in the Far East, you might choose to fly in a case that you could actually get early reviews and products that you can use for photography, et cetera, all in readiness for when your bulk um, stock arrives.
1: Yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. I think that the value of getting a handful of uh, samples of your products in advance is, is really underestimated because it, it kicks it start things. So one question I was going to ask about the quality control. So would you get somebody to just do a, a post a pre-shipment inspection, which is the classic thing that everyone thinks of when you say quality control? Or how involved in the whole manufacturing process would you get with that side of things?
0: So. On an electrical item, on a new item that hadn't manufactured prior, and certainly if it's a new design kind of a a concept, you've done the engineering, you've done everything from scratch, absolutely. It's kind of every, every gateway you possibly can through from materials all the way through to kind of production so that would be much more robust if it's an item that you've been producing you know you might do it on the first production run you make you might just have the outgoing qc or when i talked about that case that you're flying in a case potentially during for example if we couldn't actually get out to the factory or we had trouble getting there for one reason or another Having that case shipped in, you can perform your own QC. You can check the product, be happy with it within you know, realms. And then you can then release the sea freight to maybe move on a lower cost kind of freight option. So there's various different stages. It's absolutely dependent on the kind of risk involved and in the product category you're within.
1: Yeah. And then does make sense. I would just say, when you say checking a case worth of it sent to you, I mean, that assumes that the case worth of product you've got is representative of the manufacturing. And I'm saying that sort of in a slightly good point yeah i suppose i'm saying that in a, in a slightly uh, euphemistic way because my experience in china is if you there's some chinese phrase and i'm not saying it's true for everybody right but there is something in the culture it's a phrase that says something like if you can fool them you should fool them or something like that there is in some factors not saying in everyone but there can be a a, a, a let's just bury the rubbish in the middle of a pile of boxes that our inspectors can't get to thinking and i'm not saying that you know obviously you've got to do your supplier due diligence which we haven't even talked about but yeah, I, I suppose I would be instinctively wary of that. Have you had bad experiences of that or are you, are you No, we've
0: really, been okay. we've been lucky. I Let's mean, see. again, it depends on the category. So what's you've got two different approaches to this. One, you rely on the supplier picking that product and you're perhaps you might have agreed that you'd get X many samples free of charge. How I've run it in the past is that box actually comes out of production. And it's actually the freight company who are picking it. So let's say you made 2000 of a product, freight company is picking up that freight. They're then just picking one of those boxes, they're sending it to you by air, and the other ones are waiting, ready to go into a container. So that decision of which box is kind of out of the hands of the supplier it's in the freight company you're just redirecting the purchase order picking it up and then moving it you choose how and how and where you're moving it so it really does depend there's other categories though where it's been more garment for example clothing you know you need to check sizes you might need to do garment tech in-house because you've got that skill set and maybe the factory hasn't so then they are more likely to pick the samples to send to you for checking again it really does really come down to that supplier due diligence having the relationship having the experience having the recommendations having undertaken an audit, and be confident that your supplier you know is able to deliver what it is that you're hoping to build with them
1: excellent so I guess that really implies one area that we haven't covered yet, which we ought to look into quickly, which is the supplier due diligence. Cause I was thinking it feels like we're coming to the neat end of a podcast, but unfortunately that's probably a bit critical to skip, isn't it? So, (laughs) okay. So yeah, I suppose that implies lots of different scenarios, but let's say somebody, you know, knows what they're doing in terms of private labeling or, or white, you know, developing their own brand products and they've done it before, but they're looking for a new supplier. So in that situation, how do you go about the due diligence of supplier?
0: So actually, in terms of seeking out the suppliers, kind of trade shows going out and, and seeing them finding a list, you know, whether it's through somewhere like Alibaba and actually arranging to visit them, that's kind of our first step would Would always be to kind of try and go there ourselves. If we weren't able to go there ourselves, we would use another company. I'm just trying to think of various ones, but Kima is one that comes to mind in China. So we would work for SUVs. Those various ones. So, we would ask them to go in and we would have a specific list of things that we would want them to check on. There's a standard kind of audit, and also if you can't afford that or you haven't got that ability, you can also ask the supplier. Again, there's an element of trust, but asking them if they've been audited recently, are they able to share you any of the audits? have they got any processes, ISO certification other things as well that they can share with you that shows that when we again haven't when we've when, when travel's been interrupted you know doing walkthroughs it's not ideal doing walkthroughs on video to be able to see that they've got the tools there in the manufacturing or they actually got things on production but really nothing beats going there yourselves so again with with the skill set of Paul within the team he's that's something he can actually undertake himself so doing a kind of basic audit looking at the health and safety looking at the the staff looking you know at the production lines have they got you know work details of what it is they're manufacturing here is it showing are they matching you know all these what are they doing when something does fail qc you know if something's iqc on the on the um production line you know are they putting it in something and then what are they actually doing with that what's the in-house testing so all of these things really make that that big dis- difference in deciding who it is that you're going to choose to work with and like i say you can't beat having been there in person but if you don't know what you should be looking for finding someone partnering with an agency who maybe will have that knowledge and skill set or finding someone who could who does have that experience to support you
1: yeah brilliant so now just about to say this brings us this does bring us neatly to what you guys do because it it struck me as you're talking about all this stuff i'm like what if you don't know what you're looking for then it won't really help to go to china if you just wander around going wow it's a factory amazing i've never seen one of these before you know kind of thinking it's not really going to help i mean it's probably good to to look at what a factory is and how it works but i would say two things first of all if you're going to make them a key part of your business, then it is worth getting on a plane and getting over there. Most people I know that are serious, that manufacture a significant amount of their stuff in China do fly over there and visit their suppliers because they are such an integral part of the business success or failure. But also, yeah, if you don't know what you're looking for, I guess this is where you guys come in, right? Obviously, you've got a huge amount of expertise, not just you personally, but you've got your colleagues who are very, very sort of nerdy on the details. And Paul seems to be one of the people that keeps coming up. So tell us what what you can do for entrepreneurs that need a bit of help with all this stuff.
0: So, I mean, our sense of the business that's kind of what our original kind of outline was, how can we help people to take a product through from concept to delivery? And that's where we talk about kind of optimising the product portfolio. It's looking because we kind of get more involved in a in a broader sense of people's business. Where are the opportunities? Um, but, yeah, taking a product all the way through concept and for For clients who are also perhaps already existing established who are then looking for that next step. So moving into a new category or moving into a new phase of their business where they want to start looking at own brand that's really what we're there to help with so whether it's business strategy quality compliance sourcing supplier management and also content content management so we have within census eight myself vicky founders and we have a freelance team of kind of product experts across the the different realms who come in and work with us on different projects so yeah it's really exciting and we're we're available for free consultations we're happy if people want to reach out to us Um, to discuss what it is that you're looking for, coming back to see if it is something we can help with or even just directing, giving you some tips and and advice on where you can go to next if um, A isn't the right partnership.
1: Brilliant. And I would just say, if you've got a sense of just the level of expertise going here, if you're listening and you are thinking of doing this and you've got an established business, I would urge you to get in touch. You can tell Bonnie is not exactly a hard-selling kind of person. So you're going to have, at the very least, you're going to come away with more knowledge, more insights as this next step. So I would urge everyone who's in that situation to get in touch. And how do they get in touch with you, Bonnie? What's the best way?
0: So via LinkedIn, you should be find us at 8. And also we have our website, wwwsenses 8com So through our website, we've got a form and feel free to reach out over LinkedIn as well
1: brilliant well that's really really good stuff we're going to talk again i think soon about really developing an existing product that's already doing well how do you evolve from a best-selling product but there's also tons to absorb already so bonnie hall from census eight many many thanks for coming on the show
0: thank you for having me michael cheers
1: do you want to grow your amazon business bigger or faster i bet you do if so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon.